Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone executive editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to talk about Neil Young and why he thinks you should not think. And also uh, the new album from Dev Hines, who records under the name Blood Orange. I'm here with Brittany Spanos. Hey. Hey, Brittany. This is one of my favorite records I've heard in the last month or so. Definitely. Uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Dev Hines? He's had this this very interesting career. Yeah. So Dev Hines records mostly under or has become famous under the name Blood Orange. And he has recorded three albums now under Blood Orange, but is also a very excellent producer and songwriter for a lot of pop artists. He's, He's done, done stuff for, for Solange, right? Yeah, for Solange. That was a big relaunch for her music career. He worked with Sky Ferreira, and his song Everything is Embarrassing was also a huge launch for her pop career. And most recently, Carly Rae Jepsen, he wrote a song on her 2015 album Emotion. He's so, become kind of like the it boy producer right now. Yeah, or the especially. cool producer. Maybe not like the one <laughs> a lot of pop stars might go to for like a cool album track or something yeah. rather than maybe not their hit single. Yeah, definitely not like top 40, but very good for shifting sort of a lot of pop artists into this more indie pop experimental sound, which has become his big shticker like career move but yeah for sure so this year he released his third album freetown sound which is named after the capital of the country sierra leone which is where his father hails from and so the album deals a lot with imagining what his parents were like when they were kids and also dealing with a lot of current events and issues he like cites a lot of black lives matters names and um like trayvon martin has mentioned there's and so much going on with this record yeah he it's like, extremely loaded samples like krs one mm-hmm. and there's a poet who he samples at the beginning yeah ashley hayes um she had this incredible poem called four colored girls and it was dedicated to missy elliott and it is one of the opening poems from the album and it's sort of over this cool like jazz piece and it's an incredible poem. Feminism says as a woman in my arena you are not my competition as a woman in my arena your light doesn't make mine any dimmer dear Missy. I did not grow up to be you, but I did grow to be me and be in love. On an audio level, there's just so much going on. There's like new wave, like some dance. Hip-hop is not really there, but it's like hinted at. It's almost like a drummer who implies a beat. Like it's like there's definitely echoes of hip-hop, but not really. And also this amazing like stuff about identity and Mm -hmm. and racial politics. Yeah, and on that hip-hop note, it's sort of like constructed in the style of hip-hop almost, like with sort of the samples of jazz and really harking back to a lot of early hip-hop and a lot of using these jazz and funk samples to create something. And very early on in talking about the album, Dev had mentioned how it's like inspired by Paul's Boutique by Beastie Boys. And this almost Which like is, you would never think hearing yeah. it, but that also you, you might. I mean, it's pastiche, right? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a loose like interpretation of how almost Paul's Boutique is constructed and how that album feels in this world that he pulls you into. What are some of your favorite songs? Well, I really, really love Augustine, um, which is extremely loaded, and I was really happy that he released it as the first single of the album. these moments of like West African Christianity and also he cites Trayvon Martin by name and it's also about his parents and it's this beautiful kind of sprawling production like it starts off very avant-garde and kind of jazzy and then goes into this cool like synth pop new wavy sound but it's just like beautifully put together and it's like sad but also just like really beautiful kind of dancey song so 
And super different from his last record, um, Cupid Deluxe. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're definitely it's the same artist, but Cupid Deluxe, uh, which I highly recommend mm-hmm. for people to check out, maybe was a little a little more straightforward, a little more yeah. like kind of a little pop pop rock and, and hung together and, and a little more straight uh, like like beats this is a little more kind of like washes of sound exactly yeah yeah he's definitely this is deep dive into dev Hines's brain and interests and you see a lot of collaborators that he's worked with before make appearances and also just people from this sort of family of artists that he works with um, like carly ray jepson makes an appearance on the album on better than me which is another favorite of mine She has this cool kind of like low speaky type of feature on it, which is really awesome. And Debbie Harry's on there, so you kind of get this punk side from him. And she's kind of doing these like really angelic vocals. So he works so well with with uh, female singers yeah. too. They're, they're, yeah, Carly Rae Jepsen is definitely it's definitely a different look for her too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was a big part of making Emotion sort of this huge jump from what Call Me Maybe was and into her being kind of a more indie pop artist. So it's cool to see her kind of come in on this album and expand on that. A couple other uh, songs you want to call out? I like Love Ya a lot. Yeah, I do love Love Ya. I love EVP and Chance. I mean, again, those are like the examples of the female vocals really shining on this album. You're the dark-skinned nigga in a sold-out crowd. Looking at the girl with the thick blonde braids. And you're trying to make out what a t-shirt says. He worked with this artist called Kelsey Lou, who's really new on Chance, and so that's a really beautiful vocal that we kind of get to hear this newer breaking artist sort of shine on this other artist's incredible album. All right. Well, the name of the album is uh, Freetown Sound, and we, uh, we both highly recommend it. The other song we want to talk about today is uh, from Maxwell, which just blew me away. The song just like caught me by surprise. Yeah. Lake by the Ocean was Maxwell's big return after seven years away. My destiny was the forest, beach of the forest. Anything ain't nothing, it's just it's He's releasing Black Summer's Night, which is a sequel to the album, also called Black Summer's Night, but different caps. Um, it was like Watch all the caps, caps black. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all about the caps sort of separating it. So it's like all caps black for the one that he released seven years ago, and this one's all caps summer, which is a perfect sort of. We're gonna have to come up with some audio cues for that. <laughs> uh, different emphasis when black we say it, so people get right, right, right. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, Lake by the Ocean is this beautiful, beautiful kind of picturesque R&B track, and it kind of paints this beautiful scenic picture, and it's just like romantic and beautiful, and Maxwell's awesome. And yeah, the, yeah I think he's going on tour. Anyway, I can't yeah. wait to hear the rest of the record, which is out very soon. Yeah, it's great to sort of have him back, and then especially like we have so much coming from Erica Badu and D'Angelo, sort of this that almost whole like neo-soul revival, I guess, like all these artists being recognized for their legacy and all Absolutely. That. They've yeah. all like taken time away at different times mm-hmm. and now they're back and they're yeah, being yeah, fully appreciated. <laughs> and yeah, better than ever. Well, Brittany Spanos, thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Don't like 
to go down to the flats. And that was Neil Young's new band, Promise of the Real, doing his song Country Home, which is a Crazy Horse song originally. Mm-hmm. I'm here with Andy Green and Patrick Doyle. Hi there. Hey. What's up, cats? <laughs> not, not much, cat or dog. Or... <laughs> We're going to talk about Neil Young. We're going to talk about what the hell is going on with his new album. Patrick, you just interviewed Neil Young for a feature in the magazine. Yeah. Can you tell us what's happening? I'll try. Neil, I met up with him at his hotel in New York. He was staying at the Carlisle, and he was doing a little bit of press around Earth, which is a live album. He calls it an ear movie. An ear uh, movie. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, he went on tour with this band, Promise of the Real. It's a bunch of young guys, and you know, most of them in their 20s. It's uh, Lucas Nelson and Micah Nelson, Willie Nelson's kids, are kind of the, the main guys in the band. So presumably like, Neil was buddies with Willie, yeah, and that's how from, he from, uh, connect- Farm Aid. From Farm Aid, of course. So they, they call him Uncle Neil, or they used to call him Uncle Neil growing up. So he, he uh, needed something to do. I mean, Crazy Horse was kind of out of commission, and... You know, CSNY also out of commission. <laughs> he blew off the Buffalo Springfield tour uh, after eight shows. So he needed something to do that was not uh, just him on stage with an acoustic guitar. And this, so he uh, he decided to just try to play with this band at uh, some random benefit show. Where was that, Andy? It was. A, it was in Nebraska. It was a pipeline show. Yeah. It was a show that was protesting pipeline. It wasn't I, like a, like a pro pipeline show. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I remember that. So that was last year or something. Or, it was yeah. in 2014. Okay. Yeah. All right. So he uh, he played with them and just got something out of it that was really important to him. He wanted. To it keep... seems like he's just kind of having fun with them. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, he just enjoys right. playing with these guys, right? And it's yeah. cool. It's the first time that he's ever had a backing band that were his fans, that are young people that grew up on his music. These aren't peers. These aren't studio pros. These are people fifty years younger than him that know every album cold, and it leads to an awesome show because they really push him to play rare songs, and it's great. Right. And they push him like I don't think any other band can really push him in the, in that way because they're all kind of deferential to to Neil and and let him do what he wants to do. But Lucas has grown up with Willie as as a dad and and he can say, "Let's do this." Like he's not afraid. I know. Um, yeah. I know you guys have theories about that, especially you, Andy, about mm-hmm. yeah how Neil hasn't had for the last few years and maybe longer he hasn't had people who yeah have been talking back to him that much. Yeah, I mean. David Briggs was his producer from the very first solo album till the mid-90s, and he had no fear of him whatsoever. He would be like, this song sucks, you know, or whatever, and he'd make the albums great. But he died in 95, and since then, I don't think Neil has been around people that are that willing to question him. And, you know, I love Crazy Horse. I think his best work is with Crazy Horse. I worship Crazy Horse. But those guys are like half scar tissue by this point. They've been abused so many times that he's the boss that what neil says is what happens and they've been fired they've been pushed aside so many times that they're scarred whereas these guys they're are basically you, just on call right? yeah, they're, 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 right. yeah they're on yeah. call and that could be 10 years between calls and that angers them as it should but promise of the real these are young kids that are rock star kids that have no fear of neil. with a healthy sense of entitlement exactly <laughs> exactly which is very helpful so when they say hey neil i want to play alabama at this show he's like well a i hate that song b i haven't played it in 40 years but he'll do it because they push him and they're great kids, and it's a really awesome show that they're doing right now. Yeah, it's, it's like they're doing like an Inca and all these crazy yeah, songs. Yeah, at, like almost every night is like a holy shit moment where they'll bring out a song that he hasn't touched in forever, and they'll kill it. And then some shows, they'll walk on stage and play Down by the River for 40 minutes as the first song. Yeah. <laughs> 
40 minutes. Yeah. It's like longer than a fish jam. I feel like this could be another episode. Like, so much of music, yeah. so many people think that, like, people's albums or rock stars' yeah. albums are determined by what they want you to hear, when yeah. in fact they actually are determined by what rock stars want to play, the songs that they mm-hmm. actually enjoy playing. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and it's like if Neil Young wants to play this for a half an hour, he will. I feel yeah. like he's the artist who's the most in touch with that well, side yeah. of him. And it's spontaneous. He feels a moment, feels the vibe, and just goes with it. Then the next night, that same song, it will be 12 minutes. You know, it's just right. the energy that he picks up on, which is pretty rare. Yeah, even, for, even like that old cello show that you right. know is coming up. It's a that's you, the desert trip show the in desert October trip with show. Dylan and McCartney um, and the Stones and yeah. I brought that show up with him and said, "Hey, what are you going to do there?" And he said, "I I have no idea. I could do a forty minute song, or, or that song could be seven minutes. I mm-hmm. I re- really don't know until we walk up on stage." So he, he says, "It's just another show, so it's not." And some, some people actually will will say that and not mean it, but he actually I does. I think he does. Yeah. 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 Where so many of his peers, they see a concert almost as like a Broadway caliber show where every yeah. second is rehearsed. So that's kind of like the theme of our discussion of Neil, right? About not overthinking it, which he's the embodiment of. This album, Earth, it's a live album taken from being on tour with Promise of the Real. So it's, I think it's better than the Monsanto years, which was a, the studio album they did together. But this is just really captures them on stage kind of locked in with each other. And so then Neil spent about three or four months, he said, every day going into the studio and in a trailer, actually. I don't know, it was by his property or something. So he um, spent it adding different sounds uh, that he recorded near his... He's back in L.A., actually. So he was uh, walking around recording uh, crickets and uh, birds, and he puts them on the record... like in, in with the audience, because he said he, this is a sort of an environmental-themed album, so he said they deserve to be in the audience just as much as the people did. <laughs> <laughs> so how does this, how's this work? This, I, I will say, when I first heard about that, you know, the animal noises, I thought this was, you know, a pretty wacky idea. It doesn't sound quite as I, wacky as, I, as no, I thought it might. I think it works because they're not that intrusive. They don't get in the way of the music. It sort of complements it. It sounds completely batshit crazy until you hear it. Yeah. And I don't think I prefer hearing it minus the animal sounds, but they don't get in the way all that much. And in his history of insane live albums, this is, this is one of the more normal ones. Mm-hmm. I mean. Well, let's get into your interview, Patrick. Do you yeah. want to set up what you guys were uh, talking about? Well, this part of my interview is sort of when we took a, a digression from talking about the environment and talking about the, the new album. Then I was just sort of out of stuff to talk about. So I s- just was like, wait a minute. Uh, he, this is a guy that made Comes a Time. <laughs> so I, <just laughs> said, um, I kind of asked him for his thoughts on that album, which he you know, didn't really care to talk about too much. But then I wanted to ask him about the Trans album, which is one of the most interesting albums he ever made and uh, one that I go back to uh, more than a lot of them. And I think Andy's a big fan of that that record, too. He's, right, he has well, a trans uh, poster at his desk, actually. So. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> well, let's, uh, we'll put that up on the website later. Yeah. All right, well, let's listen to a little bit of this. Has anything surprised you about about playing with this band and, 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 and uh, making it grow a little bit and growing with it? Well, I just, you know, think that they're great. I think everything about it is, is really cool. One thing is they, they've learned so many of my songs that they've learned more of my songs than all the other bands combined. Well, I mean, you know, they, they know over a hundred of my songs and can play them and sing them at the drop of a hat. So it's like, and with a great groove, everything right, it's very cool. That's very freeing for me. Songs like Mother Earth, that song is more relevant today than it 
ever was, I think. And, uh, well, as time goes by, these songs become more relevant because of the situation that we're in, you know, that we put ourselves in. In making Human Highway, uh, these messages are, like, today are finally what people are talking about. Well, they've been around for a long time. Yeah. It's just that hopefully enough people will get aware of it so that some sort of change can happen. I don't see the change. I don't see people understanding what's going on. I still don't get it. Got the uh, CEOs of the oil company, I think the CEO of Chevron pronounced that fossil fuels are not dead and they're not going away. They're always going to be here in a big way. You know, they just don't get it. Yeah. You can't do that. Or, or nobody will be here in a big way if they do that. You know, some people will survive this, but it won't be like it was. And Earth will survive it, but the human race is just, they just is unable to see too far ahead. Like when I arrived in L.A. And, and joined the Buffalo Springfield in 1966, since then we've lost 90% of the fish we eat from the ocean. There's only 10% of them left, and there's three times as many of us. So, you know, the math. Yeah. It's math. Yeah. It's very basic. Yeah. Do you see anyone um, now writing songs that is on par with some of your favorite songwriters or anyone coming up now? Oh, I know they're there. Yeah. But you can't hear them the way, you know, it's not the same. The world has changed so much, and radio is now controlled by formats. Formats are pre-recorded and dictated what the playlists are. The DJs don't have much of an idea. Yeah, that's the sad thing. It's like the... the, the that's where the creativity came from. Yeah. That's where spreading new music used to come from, was yeah. DJs. Yeah. I think that... I really do think that there's a place for rebel radio. I think that that there's a place for AM analog send yeah. radio with yeah. special receivers and everything going back so that people and on those stations the jocks play exactly what they can't want to play. Yeah. They play vinyl, they play new stuff, they play old stuff and you can hear it all because it's analog. Yeah. And that's very it's critical that that the creativity return to music that at the that the people who play it get to make choices. Yes. So we have some variety. Yes. We don't have any variety. It's all like GMO music now. It's all completely controlled. It's reduced in its intensity by the technology, and then the content is controlled by the corporations that format and program the radio stations. It's yeah. an unbelievable situation. Yeah, but most people uh, that started making music 50 years ago have really slowed down or don't, you know, but you you have not slowed down one bit, really. There's no reason to slow down. Just because everything else is, uh, is seen, as far as I'm concerned, it's broken. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I have to be broken. You know, I can keep on going. I did do a lot of stuff, and uh, not all of it was great. You know, some of it wasn't right for, for then. But in an historical perspective, putting it in a long story, it really has a big, a big part to play. So yeah, the Comes a Time record is one of my favorite albums. Well, thank you. Um, is that do you, do you like that one a lot now? Sure. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. And the Trans record, I I love that. I I, I listen to that one all That's the time. A good one. Do you, do you, have you um, how do you look back on that album? Well, that was a lot of fun. That was great uh, experience. It's born out of you know, my son was born with cerebral palsy, quadriplegic, and couldn't talk, <coughs> can't speak, and couldn't communicate very well. His body wouldn't, wouldn't 
react and let them do what we do. So a lot of that singing through the vocoders and everything, and people not being able to understand what I was saying, there's a representation of what I thought it must be like for him. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's maybe a little bit complex for people to understand where I was coming from with that. But nonetheless, you know, they, you know when that record came out, I got a lot of a lot of negativity because I was singing through a machine. Yeah. But, you know, it was, just was not the right time for me to do that in the view of people who thought I should be doing something else. So, you know, that's okay. Do you notice, I mean, you know, it was, it was sort of a very forward-thinking album of, of uh, what happened later on. Well, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed it while I was doing it. It seemed like a natural progression to me. What is uh, life like for you day to day? What do you do? What do you do with your time um, like these days? I have very little time. I'm doing <laughs> things all the time. I, yeah. I, uh, yeah. It took me many, many days and weeks and actually months of post production in the studio to finish Earth. Uh -huh. To take thirteen live performances and do what we did to those performances, and also create the sounds that are in the audience and on the stage and sounds of the animals in the, uh, in the wild and everything all coming together in one place. That was, there was, you know, when you listen to it, you go, wow, but uh, that's interesting or wow, it's like kind of a meditation or I'm floating or I'm going, I don't ever get to stop. Yes. I, I just keep moving, you know, and there's no big trick to that. It's just that today there's nothing to play that on. There's nothing, you can't do that on iTunes. After a few minutes, it's got to fade out, come back up, because it's programmed to do that. Yeah. They can't accept songs that are longer than a certain length because they can't pay, what they they can't keep track of the money because their programs don't do that. This kind of thing is is been very damaging to music. Yeah. Let alone the quality of the sound, which is terrible, and you can't hear the music anyway. Yeah. But it has degraded music in the in the world's eye yeah. to a point where it's like wallpaper and background. And as People who follow Neil Young know uh, quality of sound is a big thing for him with his uh, music player Pono, which uh, I actually interviewed him about uh, a couple years ago at CES, mm -hmm. and he's got a lot of serious theories about what iTunes and <laughs> digital music formats have done yeah. to the way we experience music. Yeah. But that's actually a whole other episode. Yeah. How about we just take the, our remaining time to talk about trans and some of the moments where Neil Young has like followed his musical id yeah. the furthest? Because yeah. I, feel, I feel like he's got this combination of like totally following his gut, but then having this incredible follow-through. Yeah. It's almost as if he's incapable of doing something that he doesn't totally believe in at any moment. So he's willing to really damage his career and even his finances to do what he wants. I mean, the first thing would be Time Fades Away, that between 1970 and 72, he was one of the biggest stars in, in all of music with CSNY, with After the Gold Rush, with Harvest. He had Heart of Gold was the number one hit the biggest song of that whole year, 72. Then he goes on tour and plays all these new songs and puts out a huge live album of just these new songs that were really uncommercial. I mean, he could have made another He could have uh, easily Harvest made Harvest and too. Been, been as big as anybody. It's Carol yeah. King or, right, or yeah. anybody. He yeah. did that whole singer songwriter thing better than almost anybody in, in that moment and then just walked away from it completely. Mm -hmm. And then after Russ Never Sleeps, he could have done a thousand more songs like Powderfinger and whatnot. 
but he signed with Geffen, and then the 80s happened, and he made Trans, which is like craft work almost. And he's singing into a vocoder, so his, his vocals are all distorted. It's a crazy album that his fans did not want, that David Geffen did not want. But he was ballsy enough to be like, to just put it out. He was just on the Marin podcast and he told some yeah. story that I hadn't heard. Maybe you guys have yeah. about how, like, how his label at the time, how Geffen asked him, either somebody at the label or Geffen himself yeah. said, Why don't you just go back to rocking and make a rock and roll record? Yeah. So he made, he made his he, 50s record. Yes. Everybody's rocking. Everybody's rocking solely to piss off David Geffen, basically. <laughs> and there's none, there was not one of his Just fans. a very, like, twee. Uh, it's an awesome yeah. record, but, but it's, like, very. It's an it's a okay record. It's I'd like say. a joke record. It's yeah. a joke record. Yeah. But. He got sued by David Geffen for making music that was that was non-commercial, essentially, which was an insane lawsuit. Um, and then, you know, he put out a whole live album in 91 that was just feedback. It was just 40 minutes of feedback sewn together from various shows on his Crazy Horse Was that tour. Arc Weld? Arc, or yeah, Arc. it was the bonus disc off of Weld. You know, he did Fork in the Road, like 10 songs about his car. But he did, he does, no, the Human Highway film, a yeah, lot of all the he, films he's made. Oh, was, yeah, he makes crazy movies. He acted as a, yeah. um, what, what was he, he playing? He spent four years filming Human Highway, where he's like a mentally challenged yeah. auto mechanic. Yeah. You know, Bob Dylan wouldn't do that. Yeah, no, he's consistently willing to do the uncommercial things. He recorded a new album with CSNY in the 80s, but he went tour. You know, he went tour. There's so much money that he left on the table. You know, and like part of it is his first take, best take philosophy. He really thinks that you shouldn't spend too much time on your albums. You should tape everything. And like albums, they should be made in like two days. You can certainly hear that. I mean, a lot of his lyrics feel like so just almost written off the top of his head or, or like mm-hmm. in this kind of plain spoken. Yeah. His recent lyrics especially, you know. Yeah, feel it's like, like an email. Like, <laughs> like, like, yeah, an email. Like kind of almost like prosaic. Sometimes yeah. in a good way, sometimes in a bad yeah. way. Yeah, you know? it's But his, very much just like, it's like right. he's talking. It's his passion. Whatever's on, yeah. But if you go back to a song like Ohio, it's just what happened. It's a simple right. account of the massacre, and it, it's brilliant. And like tonight's the night. But he, he can ma- get very abstract too, like you know Pocahontas or you know right. Or, uh, if he's on drugs or something, yeah, he, he can write Cinnamon Girl or something, <laughs> you know. But it, most, I, presumably, but, it's been a while. Well, yeah, he he's smoking weed again. Actually, there, there was a long period where he was clean. Now he's smoking weed again. We'll, we'll see what that does to yeah. the song. Right? When I talked to Micah Nelson, he said that's our fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you kids! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be very hard to be on tour with both William Nelson's sons and not be smoking weed again. It would be almost impossible, probably. <laughs> I guess they, they get a, they get together about 30 minutes before every set and get into a circle and start to uh, to sort of do these vocal exercises, kind of humming and sort of getting locked in with each other is what they do before they step on stage because it, it sort of spills into when they step on stage, they're already in sort of a groove together from doing these vocal exercises yeah. that are very sort of important right. to the show. And again, these shows are super special. I think a lot of fans stay away from seeing Neil Young because they've been burned in the past. The day I saw the Greendale tour, it was all Greendale straight through. They'll see so many tours where it's just new songs that they don't care about. But this tour is really the good stuff. And you can hear that on this album. I mean, the yes, you have the animal noises and you have mm. the half-hour half versions, but these are also like kind of some great classic songs well, to it. And Vampire, Vampire Blues. Vampire Blues, which he never plays. And even Hippie Dream, this obscure 80s song just bashing CSN. What the word is shit. We're just 
Just this like vicious attack on the 60s and CSN in particular. And it's crazy. He's like, and those wooden ships were, they were just a hippie dream and just going over and over again. And it's awesome. He said that um, that he can do that because this, the band can sort of, months after they practice something once, he can call, out, call it out on stage. And he said... He said one of the problems with, with that he has is he really doesn't like showing people his music. That he said after 50 years, you can imagine how, how tired I would get to show people how to play my songs. So he said this band, I, they don't have to do that. So it's sort of very freeing to him. I could see that. All right, yeah. here's how you play cinnamon. Girl. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, he's like that. And he's 70 years old, but his voice is still great. He's still playing guitar great. He's playing the same guitar. I mean, out of everybody that's playing old cella, He's really the most vital person there as far as the show changes a lot. He pulls out bold new albums. Again, old old cella is our term for the desert trip festival. Yeah, well, it's, it's a widely used right. term by this point. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing that he's he's still preserved. If you see him now, it's very similar experience to seeing him back in the 70s. Is he playing more dates this summer? He's with, uh... in Europe right now in the middle of a huge European tour. All right, so... And the... then he's playing Farm Aid, and then there's old Chella for two weekends, the Bridge School Benefit, and it seems very likely there will be more October dates with Promise of the Real. All right, well, hopefully uh, our listeners will be able to check him out. Andy Green, Patrick Doyle. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for Rolling Stone Music Now. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts. 